Indeed, precious Lord, we thank you for your word. Indeed, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Indeed, your law is that by in which we behold wondrous things. But Lord, we need your help. We cannot even understand anything unless it was by your grace. And Lord, we pray that your spirit will give us understanding this morning. That he indeed would search the deep truths of your word here this morning. So that we may behold wondrous things in your word. That we may behold glorious things. And that we might be a people who are changed by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. James 2, reading verse 8 to 13. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the perfect word of our God. Well, this morning, we'll be looking not at all those six verses, but we'll be looking mainly at verse 8 this morning. Verse 8 this morning. And in subsequent weeks, whenever I preach, we'll be looking at the rest of those verses up to verse 13. On the law of God. But we'll be looking, as I said, at verse 8 this morning. And I'm going to be mentioning the word law a lot. Again and again. And when I say the word law, I'm not talking about I want to mention what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about, in the Old Testament, the ceremonial law that the Jews were given by God, certain dietary laws or other restrictions God placed upon Israel specifically to set them apart visibly from the other nations. And I'm not talking about the judicial law that the Jews had in the Old Testament, which also separated them from those tribes around them, the penalties that they had when they broke God's moral law or even the ceremonial law. But what the law is that James is talking about here, the law that is there in the Old Testament and carries through for believers now, is what we call the moral law of God, which is binding on all people at all times. And that's the law that we'll be talking talking about this morning. The royal law that James mentions in verse 8. Now in this chapter of chapter 2 of the book of James, James has just talked about favoritism. And if you show favoritism or partiality, you are sinning against a brother or sister in Christ. If you honor someone based on worldly values such that you despise someone else, in showing that favoritism, you are sinning, yes, against God and against your brother and sister in Christ. And at the end of that that section, he brings in the law. And you might think, he's talking about favoritism. Why does he suddenly go into speaking about the law? Because whenever the word of God speaks about the law, 
And it's talking about what we should do or shouldn't do. It has reference to sin. And what James is saying here is if you show favoritism, you are breaking God's law. And because you're breaking God's law, you're not showing love and you're sinning against God and against them. And so understanding the law is foundational for many things. It's foundational for understanding sin and our need for Christ and the gospel. Understanding the law rightly is foundational for understanding what Christ did in keeping the law perfectly before God so that he could give righteous, his righteousness to all who believe in him. And that there is a penalty for our law breaking our sin, which he paid for on the cross. And understanding the law is important for, as Christians, how we please God and walk in obedience to him. Can you see how the law of God is foundational for the understanding even the gospel and understanding the need for Christ and understanding how we are to please God? Because a wrong view of the law, a wrong view of the law leads to a lopsided Christian life, a lack of assurance and much frustration in trying to obey the Lord and honor him. Even worse, a wrong view of the law will give you a weak view of Christ and the gospel. And at worst, a wrong view of the law can lead to your damnation. That's how serious it is to get the law right. What's your view of the law of God? Well, what are some wrong views? And maybe you've thought any of these at one point or another. Maybe before you were a Christian. Maybe even as a Christian, sometimes you've... There are times when you, when you maybe misunderstand or forget things. But the first of these is often the most dangerous. It's legalism. Maybe you've had that word thrown around to you or you've heard it, about it. And what, it, what is it? Well, legalism takes various forms, but essentially, mainly, it is either one, adding your laws to God's law. right? Teaching your laws as if they were God's law and expecting others to be held by them. Or when you add your law or any of God's law to the gospel. Because when you add it to the gospel, the gospel is that which you believe in and are saved. And if you add any bit of law, any bit of stuff you have to do, you've lost the whole gospel. This was exemplified by the Pharisees. They taught us doctrines, right? They taught their own commandments as if they were the doctrines or teachings of God. They focused on outward conformance to the law. And yet they did not think about the heart. They relied on this outward conformity to the law as their righteousness before God. And they also did this outward conformity to be seen by men for the praise of others. And not for the glory of God and the approval of God. That's legalism. And on the other side is what we call antinomianism. I know I'm giving you big terms this morning. But hopefully I'm explaining them enough. But antinomianism, anti, against law. It's anti-law. And this view is kind of the other side. Instead of adding your law to the gospel, adding your laws to God's law. This says, no law. Anti antinomianism. 
says that salvation is entirely of grace and can never be lost. That's true. But then they conclude, therefore, because my salvation can never be lost, I don't have to walk in obedience to God's commandments. I can have Jesus as Savior, but not have him as Lord now that I'm a Christian. And so they live in presumption, thinking that they can just get out of this jail-free card, get out of hell-free card, and live however they like. One of their favorite verses quoted is in Romans 6.14. It says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And they go, see, we're not under law, we're under grace. But the irony is, is that verse is in a section of... Romans 6, that whereas Paul is speaking specifically against antinomianism. We're not under the law, it's true, as our master, right? As Christians, we're not under the law as our master. We're no longer slaves to the law and to our sin. But who are we slaves to? God. And when we obey him, how do we obey him? His law. And so we're no longer enslaved to the law and to our sin, but we're slaves to God. But maybe your view of the law is this. Well, don't be specific about my obedience, just love. I then ask you, how do you love? It's not just some airy-fairy feeling that you conjure up and wish someone you know, a warm welcome as they go in the door, which is a good thing. Or maybe you just you, know, you send vibes of love to people. It's not love? No. It's like trying to see the forest without the trees. How do you love? Do you speak kindly and don't slander others? Do you encourage others or you just discourage them? Do you admonish them? Do you pray for them? Brethren, that's the law. That's the law. The problem is not the law. That's a wrong view as well. Don't be specific. Just, just, just love. Or the other side, be specific and forget the purpose of the law. Some of us do this, right? Where we just, we, we've, got, we've got to obey God, we've got to obey God, and we forget the whole purpose of the law. And that's what we'll be looking at today, love. Right? You get the outward conformity to the law, but you have the wrong spirit. And that's when you, you see all the trees, but you forget there's a forest. And you're so looking at the trees, and you're looking at the bark, and then you're seeing another tree, you just don't realize there's a whole forest around you. No, you need the trees and the forest. And so as we go through this verse, the central teaching of it is that God's people love others by walking in sincere obedience to his law. God's people love others by walking in sincere obedience to his law. And as we go through, we're going to see the origin of the law. We're going to see the summary of the law and then the fulfilling of the law We'll first have a look in the verse 8, and I'll read it out. The origin of the law. It says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But notice the words there, royal law. Why does James use the word royal? Does he just kind of stick it in there for no reason? No. He uses it to help us as a reminder that this law is from a king, not just any king. It's not talking about the laws of the land. It's talking about God's law. 
It's his law. Note even at the beginning of verse 11. It says, For he, speaking of God, who said do not commit adultery, also said do not murder. It's God who gave the law. Even at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, from Deuteronomy 5, which Paul read out for us. What does God say? He says, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God states who he is before he gives his law. And you can't divorce the law from God. And as soon as you do that, it becomes anyone else's law, doesn't it? The law of the land, the law of someone else. Down to verse 22 of Deuteronomy 5. It says, these words, this is after the Ten Commandments are given. He says, these words Yahweh spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire, of the cloud and of the dense gloom. With a great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. What did God do? He had given all his law, and for these ten, these ten commandments, he wrote them with his very finger, it says, on two stone tablets. Like it's etched in concrete. Who gave them? God gave them. Isaiah 33, 22 says, For Yahweh is our judge. Yahweh is our lawgiver. Yahweh is our king. He will save us. Notice the connection there between God as king and God as lawgiver. Even James 4, verse 12, two chapters over, it it seems to allude to this verse from Isaiah. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and it's God. And why is this important to emphasize the origin of the law being in God? Because the authority of the lawgiver determines the authority of the law. The authority of the lawgiver determines who must obey that law. And so if a king has a certain authority over, let's say, a thousand subjects, his law is binding on those 1,000 subjects. If he has a bigger kingdom... More must obey his law. And if God is king of kings and his throne rules over all, every single person must obey his law. And every single person by nature fails to do that. But also the importance of the law gives honour to the law itself. The more majestic the king, the more weighty his law. I mean, imagine if you had a king sitting on a throne who was dressed in peasant's clothes and, and there were you know, no trumpets sounding, there was no royal palace or anything like that, and when he walked by, no one bowed. Who would take his law seriously? No one. And so you can imagine if the one who gave the royal law here found in Scripture is full of majesty and infinite in splendor, honor must be given to his law. But also the character of the lawgiver determines the character of the law. If a king is wicked, or a queen is wicked, or a government is wicked, or a government is just, either way the laws will reflect those who are in authority, will they not? And in the same way, God's law, because he's perfectly just, his law is perfect. What does it say in Psalm 19? It says, the law of Yahweh is perfect. Restoring the soul. 
The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. They are more desirable than... Though they're sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Indeed, all of Scripture sees the law of God and gives it honor and glory because it comes from Him. How do you view the Lord's law? How do you view the Word of God? And in specific, the commands of God. Do you honor it? Do you seek to obey God with reverence? Do you see God's law as perfect and righteous and good? Do you love to hear God's word, his law? Because if you have a problem with God's word or God's law, you're either backsliding as a Christian or at worst, you're not even a Christian at all. If you don't like listening to God's law, Or it goes on too long, it's too repetitive, it seems too harsh. Or you don't have time for God's law. Or you you see more practical ways of doing things that are just... I mean, God's way is is good, but, you know, my way is better in this, at least this circumstance. All of those are, are wicked thoughts. It's God's law. His royal law. A godly Christian is one who loves God's law. And who sees it as coming from the hand of God. But next we see the summary of the law. The summary of the law. Have a look with me again at verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. What is the royal, so what is the royal law mentioned there? Love your neighbor as yourself. How would you summarize all of God's commandments in all of Scripture, all of God's moral law? How would you summarize it? Could you? Well, a scribe of the law did when he came to Christ. And the first way is to summarize it in two great commandments. I'll read it out from Luke 10, 25 to 28. It says this, And behold, a scholar of the law stood up and was putting Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered and said, this is the scholar answering, and he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. This scholar, this scribe wanted to know how he could inherit eternal life, how, what he could do. What must I do? And Jesus gives him. He doesn't even give him the gospel. He gives him the law. What does Jesus say? Do this and you'll live. Why? Because he wanted that rich... Sorry, sorry. He wanted that scholar to see, the scholar of the law, who should have known better. He wanted that scholar to see that he had to keep the law perfectly in order to attain eternal life. But what does Jesus do as he affirms his scholar? How did the man summarize the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And elsewhere, Jesus said, this is the summary of the law and the prophets. So two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. But how else? Right? And James has brought out here that second division of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. But how else would you summarize God's commandments? Well, you have the summary to its, to its I guess, most distilled form in those two commandments. But then you have the ten commandments. That was read out for us before by, by Paul from Deuteronomy 5. And that also is a summary of God's moral law. And God gives ten of them. And the first four sit under that love, the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the latter six lie under love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what James is getting at here. That second part of God's moral law is loving your neighbor as yourself. If your eyes go down to verse 11, James brings out two of these ten commandments. If you didn't realize, these are two of the ten commandments. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So this moral law is summarized in the two great commandments and in the Ten Commandments given by God at Mount Sinai. You hear this morning, and if you're here this morning and you're ignorant of God's law, and I want to think specifically of even the Ten Commandments. Why is that? Children in church history who were catechized and learned questions and answers to teach them theology. This is one of the fundamental things that they learned. And they could... They memorized the Ten Commandments, among other things. They memorized the Gospel. They memorized the Ten Commandments. They memorized the Lord's Prayer. But they could say all of the Ten Commandments in order and could say what they meant. Do you know the Ten Commandments by heart? If I said to you, what's the fifth? Could you list it? And again, this isn't just to, to earn anything before God. No, it's just an out, a practical outflow of loving God's law. So I encourage you, brethren. I know it's hard but to memorize Scripture at times. In the busyness of life or our minds are tired, go home. Look over God's law. Look at the Ten Commandments and memorize them. And you'll find great reward in doing so. But not only have we looked at the origin of God's law, His moral law, and the summary of them. But the fulfilling of God's law in love, that's what we're going to see last of all. What does James say here? He says, if you really keep, if you really keep, and that word keep there means to fulfill. And you go, maybe an alarm bell goes off in your head and you go, me, fulfill the law? I'm not perfect. I can't f fulfill the law. And that's right, you can't in one sense. But it says here that you can. If you really keep, or literally, if you are really fulfilling the law, and then at the end it says you are doing right. The implication is that, that as believers, you can. Because if you are in Christ, 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can fulfill God's law in a certain way. I'll explain more about that in a second. We can truly please God. But if you're not a Christian and you're outside of Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope of pleasing God and obeying his law. No matter how much, how hard you try. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the mindset on the flesh... This is speaking about those who are not Christians. For the mind set on the flesh is an at enmity towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It's not possible. No matter how hard you try, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter how hard you try and earn anything before God to get to heaven, you can't do it at all, even in the slightest little bit of way. You can't. But if you are a Christian, you can keep God's law and please him. Romans 13, 8 to 10. And then you'll recognize similar language to what we're reading. Romans 13, 8 to 10. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does not work evil against the neighbour. Against the neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. We fulfil the law by loving and walking in obedience to that law as Christians. Now, can we do it in and of ourselves in our own strength? No. God is the one who gives us strength by His Spirit. But as a Christian, we're still called to please Him, and we can, in Christ, please God. Now, can we do it perfectly? And the answer is no. And so that definitely cannot mean that we fulfill the law. That cannot mean that we fulfill the law to make us righteous before God in His sight, to justify us. Because there is only one who fulfills God's law perfectly, and that's Christ. He fulfills the law perfectly. He did it in every way, and he earned a perfect righteousness before God. He obeyed the law in every single way. He didn't do what was forbidden by God, and he did do do all that God had said to do perfectly with all his heart. Soul, mind, and strength every single moment of every single day. It didn't matter, matter when, in, when you checked in with Jesus, he was still obeying God. He didn't slip up and say, oops, I better start again. That was one, maybe one transgression. No, he committed no sin. He was perfectly righteous in his obedience. He had no sin, no law breaking. And you know what? This righteousness... He freely gives it to everyone who believes in him. That is at the heart of the gospel. He justifies, he declares sin is righteous when they believe in him because of his perfect law keeping. And you know what? All our law breaking, that's what he took on the cross. Our sin. Can you see how our law breaking goes to Christ and all his law keeping? And all the perfect righteousness of his obedience culminating in his death. All of that comes to all who believe in him. And so that when they stand before God, they are forgiven of all their sin. And they are righteous in his sight 
That's what it means to be justified before God. Only Christ fulfills the law in that way. But now that we are justified, we now walk in obedience to his commands out of thankfulness and love. Pleasing God because we're in Christ. Can you see how if you get it around the wrong way, you lose the gospel? And if you substitute Christ for yourself and and put it the other way around, you lose the gospel. As the Puritan Samuel Bolton said, the law sends us to the gospel for our justification. The gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. Let me repeat that. The law sends us to the gospel for our justification. The gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. Before we are Christians, we go to the law and the law says, "Uh uh-uh, not me, him. That's what it should do. The law says, no, you have sin, go to Christ. Then when we are saved by God's grace in Christ, we go back to the law and the law says, I'm going to teach you how to please your Lord. Brethren, if you are here and, and you're in, sorry, not brethren, but if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, you cannot, as I said before, you cannot possibly fulfill God's law in any way, shape or form. And so many people I've talked to on the street, and this is the default mode of people on the street, that they just hope that they're good enough. It's a false hope. All it's doing is giving you a false assurance that hopefully you might possibly, maybe, hopefully get into heaven when you die. But if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, all the Lord does is say, uh-uh, you have no hope outside of Christ. Unless you keep me, the Lord says, unless you are not a sinner from birth, which is impossible, unless you keep it perfectly, continually, moment by moment, i.e., if you're another Christ, you could get a free pass with God. And the answer is, you can't. So what does the Word word of God say? Does the Word of God say, well, just do enough and hope? You can't do enough, just try a little bit more? No. It says, despair of your own works and trust in Christ. But how, how do we, as believers... Fulfill the law. We do it in love. That's the end of the law. That's the purpose of the law for believers, is love. What is love? Well, love defined is an earnest desire and resulting action for the good of someone else in accordance with God's law. And I choose my words carefully. Love is an earnest desire and resulting action for the good of someone else in accordance with God's law. It must be from the heart. That's why it's an earnest desire. And it must result in and be demonstrated by an action. That's why it must result in that action. And it must be according to God's law, not your own. It's not enough to just say, you just, I love someone, I have an affection for them. Or I desire good for that person. I, I wish you well. You know, be, uh, you know, they're starving and you say, oh, I wish you to be well filled. That's not love. There's no resulting action, is there? It's a farce. That's hypocrisy. 
And it's not enough for you to just kind of outwardly perform things with actually no sincere desire for their good. That's outward religiosity. The Pharisees specialized in that one. And it's not enough to desire good for someone when it's your own definition of good and not God's definition of good. Because it's not good. No matter how much you think it's good, if it's not in accordance with God's law, it's not good. Yes, there are practical ways that we work out God's law in our lives. But it must always be in accordance with God's law. It doesn't matter if you say, love is love. I love that person. We're in that relationship. It doesn't matter if God doesn't say it's okay, but love is love, right? No, God says what love is. God says how love is to be shown. That may be sincere, but it's sincerely wrong. Our love must be genuine and fervent and sincere from the heart. It must come from a desire for the good of the other person. We must then seek to say or do something for their good. And search God's scriptures, his law, so that we can see how best to love and to serve them. But what about God's love? How does the Bible define God's love? And it says, 1 John 14, it says, In this is love. In this is love. And John nails it down succinctly as he can, the clearest demonstration of God's love. He says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his only son to bear his wrath on the cross for his people. God didn't just say, I love you, and then do nothing about it. We'd go, are you sure? And God didn't just send Jesus to kind of just be a moral teacher and just kind of live an exemplary life and say, well, look, I showed you, you know, the law in kind of an action form in Jesus, all the best. He didn't do that, did he? But out of his great love for his people, he sent us on his son to actually deal with the problem for our good. Imagine if Jesus said to his heavenly father, you know what? I think I know a better way to love our people than going to the cross. And you know what? I am just going to give, live a good life. I mean, Jesus could never do that because he could never sin. But, can, but I, I say that to make you think of the absurdity of it because it's not love, is it? It's not love when we seek to love others our own way. Someone who thinks they love God and doesn't love others according to God's word, they're kidding themselves. What about you here this morning, brethren? Are you loving others? Because the Bible says you can. And by God's grace and by His Spirit, you can. And because you can, you should. Let's do it, brethren. Let's search out the Scriptures. Let's see God's commandments. And then let us, in an earnest desire for the good of others, love them. That's what He's saying. Love your neighbor as yourself can list all of God's commandments, the Ten Commandments I listed before, and have, lo- have not love, it is nothing. You can speak with as many foreign languages, tongues as you like, 
but have not love is nothing. I'm paraphrasing Paul here. Right? You can do all these ministry things, but have not love is nothing. It's cheap. It's fake. But as a Christian, if you're walking in obedience to God's law out of an earnest desire to please the Lord and to love others, brethren, praise God for that. Be encouraged. Keep going. As it says at the end of verse 8, you are doing right. That word right there, you are doing well. It is a good thing. It is pleasing in God's sight. And so a godly Christian is not just one who loves God's law, but one who seeks out of a love for the Lord and a love for others to walk in obedience, a sincere obedience in loving others by keeping it. May God help us to love his royal law and to walk in love and obey him in all things. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how we love your law. And yet, Lord, at the same time as we say that, Lord, at so many other times, Lord, we do not. Enough. Lord, it's never enough. All our obedience, all our doing, all our desiring after the good of others, Lord, it's it's not enough, and we know that in our own hearts. And yet, Lord, we have these encouragements from Scripture, Lord, that we can fulfill your law in Christ. That everything brought to you, Lord, every sacrifice, every, every little bit of obedience, Lord, in Christ is pleasing in your sight. And in that we rejoice, O Lord, that there is always a covering for us in, in Christ. And that, Lord, we walk in sincere obedience to you. And, Lord, you are pleased with us in Christ. We pray that this church would continue to be known for our love, that we'll continue to learn your law, learn your commandments, so that we might please you. We thank you most of all for Christ, he, the holy and the righteous one, who indeed is, is all our righteousness before you, all our perfect standing before you is found in him and him alone. May we never forget Christ in all our obedience to you. May we never forget Christ. We always, may we always rest in him as long as we live. Oh, Lord, for any here who are unbelievers, who are outside of Christ, who have not believed in Christ, Lord, please have mercy on their souls. Help them to see, Lord, that they do not love you or love others as they should. And that all the Lord does, Lord, is show them their sin. Lord, please point them to Christ. Point them to Christ and, Lord, grant them faith that they may believe in Christ and be saved and may be righteous in your sight. Lord, have mercy on their souls. Oh, Lord, we pray these things for your glory and for the name of Christ. Amen.